Would you please pray with me? Abba Father, how thankful we are that your faithful love never ends and your mercies never cease, even when we cannot see you in our suffering. You are always with us. Lord God, I pray that you would be with us now as we work through a lesson that may be difficult for some to navigate. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to be kind and compassionate listeners and to extend your love and peace to those who are in need or in pain. Use me as your servant. May my words be your words for these women. Assure them of your great, great love for them. This I ask in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Are you living in your happily ever after? In almost every fairy tale love story, the happy couple ends up living happily ever after. They ride off into the sunset to live every moment of every day for the rest of their lives happily and blissfully in love. Now, while that sounds like true love, it is a fairy tale. In real life, it is not true. Even in the best of marriages, there are times when couples cannot stand each other. There are times of conflict that gets heated, feelings get hurt, hearts are misunderstood, and love is just not enough. We need a faith-based love that's not dependent on feelings or circumstances. Our hearts ache for this kind of love, a happily ever after faithful love. This kind of faithful love is only found in Christ Jesus. He loves you with the greatest love that can ever be known, the love of the perfect heavenly bridegroom for his bride. Jesus' love for his bride is the central story of the entire history of redemption. For this reason, marriage is sacred to God, and it should be sacred to us. Raymond Ortland Jr. says that marriage bespeaks a higher reality, the love of Christ for his church and her joyful deference to him. The gospel tells the story of God's pursuing, faithful, wounded, angry, overruling, transforming, triumphant love. And it calls us to answer him with a love which cleanses our lives of all spiritual whoredom. You heard me right, whoredom. Judah was guilty of whoredom, a faithless bride. Yet God's love remained faithful because before the foundation of the world, he made a covenant to redeem his people for his own treasured possession. Even now, he is faithfully working toward the full redemption of all things. God is unfailingly faithful. The people of Malachi's day were faithless the verb faithless appears five times in Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. God, through Malachi, indicts them for their faithlessness. Because his covenant love is a faithful love, though, he calls them and us to express the same faithful love to him 
and to one another. The truth that we'll explore in this passage is that God's faithful love is expressed through his people. We have two divisions, faithless in the sanctuary and faithless in the spirit. So our first division, faithless in the sanctuary, Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. Now Malachi begins this section by reminding the people of what united them. God's role as their father. Verse 10, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? The first person of the Trinity is God the Father. The sovereign God of the universe is Father, not to all people, but only to those who trust in Jesus. The New Testament teaches us that in Christ, the one who created all things calls us his dearly beloved children. But God's fatherhood is rooted in the Old Testament. When God redeemed Israel out of bondage to Egypt, he established a covenant with them. He became their father and they his firstborn son. His covenantal relationship with them intimately bound them to him and to one another. Commentator Ian Duke, says that this covenantal relationship with God meant that their sins against one another were never merely a private and personal matter, but were at the same time sins against God. Israel had one father. One creator, faithful in his covenant with his beloved people, a chosen, holy nation. His people were to express his faithful love by maintaining unity within the covenant community. Instead, Israel profaned this covenant by being faithless to one another. Before that happened, they broke covenant with God. Malachi has already detailed the covenant-breaking behavior of the people and the priest. If you recall, in the beginning of Malachi chapter 2, the priests were called out for their unfaithfulness to their covenant with God. For those in covenant with God, faithlessness to one another involves being faithless to God. Malachi graphically describes Israel's faithlessness in verse 11. Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Now, if you go back to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 20, the same verb used here for faithless refers to marital unfaithfulness. As the priests faltered in their duty to lead the people in the right worship of God, the faith of the people spiraled downward, resulting in a devastating collapse of God-ordained marriages and families. Their marriages to daughters of foreign gods were the root sin of their faithlessness. Israel was called to be a holy nation, set apart by God, for God. 
God expressly forbid his people to marry the daughters of foreign gods because it would cause them to worship other gods, to engage in idolatrous practices, and to forget the divine purpose for which God established them as a holy nation. The same is true for believers. God purchased us. He redeemed us out of bondage to sin at the great cost of the blood of his one and only beloved son. We belong to him. We are his people. If we want to rightly express his faithful love, all that we are must be wholly committed to him and his divine purposes for our lives. Now, this was not true for faithless Israel. Malachi uses the word abomination, which refers to idolatrous religious practices or sexual transgression. The people of the holy nation of Israel, referenced here by the name Judah, had committed an abomination. Judah profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, the sanctuary of the great I am, Yahweh, Hashem, the one that you you studied about this week. This was a holy place, sacred, set apart by God, for God. To profane it was to desecrate or defile what God made holy. The word sanctuary either means the dwelling place of God or the people themselves since they are of God's holy seed. A theologian Peter Adams says that though the central sin is that of marrying foreign idolaters, in profaning what is holy, they were desecrating the holy God who lived among them in his holy temple and had made them to be his holy people. Judah profaned or desecrated God himself by marrying women who worshipped other gods. God is not condemning racially mixed marriages here. He is addressing the mixing of religions. The phrase daughter of a foreign god refers to an idolatress, a pagan woman who worships idols. Again, God strictly forbids such intermarriage among his covenant people. They were called to live as a holy nation, a people giving expression to God's faithful love to the nations around them. Intermarrying with these pagan nations threatened the purity of their worship of the one true God, and it threatened the power of their message of God's redeeming love. But Israel was faithless. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah record that during the long exile in Babylon, God's people intermarried with the pagan peoples there. One commentator observes that once Judah returned from exile in Babylon, these marriages helped them gain political and economic advantages. God's response to Israel's faithlessness is just judgment. Verse 11, verse 12, may the Lord cut off from the tent of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Those who profaned the sanctuary of the Lord would be cut off from the tents of Judah. 
Now this phrase, tents of Judah, recalls Israel's humble, nomadic beginnings and refers to the covenant community. The Lord would cut off not only the offender, but also his descendants. The last phrase of verse 12 says that, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Now some scholars see this as a shift in focus from the people back to the priest. They were the ones responsible for making the offerings before the Lord. So this is a dire judgment. If Israel continued to profane the covenant and profane the Lord's sanctuary, every descendant of the priest would be cut off. The people would have no one left to present sacrifices to the Lord. No way to pay for their sins. No way to enter the presence of the Lord. And no way to maintain an intimate covenant relationship with their father, God. As Israel spurned or despised God's faithful love, she spurned the picture and the promise of God's coming Messiah. Jesus Christ. She spurned her happily ever after with her bridegroom, Jesus Christ. As Christians, you and I have been made holy by the life, death, and resurrection of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. He is our bridegroom. We are his bride. Our happily ever after is secured in him. Yet we profane the sanctuary of the Lord, and we spurn his love in countless ways. We choose to love and justify our pet sins rather than obey God. We fail to live in peace with everyone and to live holy lives that avoid bitter roots, immorality, and godlessness. We allow sin to run amok in our bodies by what we think, what we consume, what we do for our own glory and pleasure rather than God's. Any form of sexual immorality, even impure thoughts, literature, movies, TV shows, profanes the Lord's sanctuary and it spurns his faithful love. Because we are his sanctuary. He lives in us. We belong to God. He is holy. We must honor him with every part of our bodies, eyes, ears, mouth, hands, feet, all of it. God intends for his faithful love to be expressed through his people. He set Israel apart to be expressions of his faithful love in a covenant community and then to shine the light of his love to the nations around them. He expects his people to do the same. Today, Christians are to express the faithful love of God by loving one another well and then shining the light of his love to a lost and hurting world. Israel was faithless. You and I, we must be faithful. He has given us the incredible and eternal gift of his faithful love to in turn love others well. So our first truth is that God's faithful love is best expressed by loving others well. How are you loving others well with the faithful love that God has given you? God's love is unfailingly faithful because he is unfailing. 
unfailingly faithful. As God's people, you and I are lavishly and faithfully loved by him. We must proclaim his faithful love with our own faithful love, not profane it by our faithlessness. Of Malachi chapter 2, Old Testament scholar Walt Kaiser writes, This is a revolutionary summons to a wholly different type of lifestyle that moves majestically from a love for the glory of God and the instruction found in his word to a love for the whole company of the people of God. And for that partner, we we vowed before God and witnesses to love and cherish until death separates us. God wants us to respond to his faithful love with a wholly different lifestyle. One of faithful love to him, to the entire body of Christ, and to the world. In what ways does his faithful love motivate you to live a wholly different life? lifestyle. How are you doing that? How are you loving others well? Faithful love actively works to strengthen marriages and all other relationships within the body of Christ. Faithful love actively works to encourage and help those experiencing difficulty and distress. Faithful love actively works to show the world God's great faithfulness by being his hands and his feet. Faithful love is a gift from God, the fruit of the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer. Malachi points to the Spirit in our next division, but it is an indictment. Israel, he says, is faithless in their spirit. So our second division is faithless in the spirit. Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Verse 13. And this second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So yet another indictment. Malachi indicts the Israelites for covering the Lord's altar of sacrifice with their tears, weeping and groaning. He says they did this because God did not regard or accept their offerings with favor. Now it helps here to understand whose tears are on the altar. These are the tears of the men who have divorced their Israelite wives to marry pagan women. They expected God to gloss over their sins and accept their sacrifices. They brought their offerings without repenting of the gross sin of breaking their marriage vows to their Israelite wives. Malachi points out either their feigned ignorance or their willful blindness to this sin. Verse 14, but you say, why does he not? For the fifth time, Malachi uses the phrase, but you say, to present Israel's response to God's accusation of her sin. But you say, why does he not? God refused to accept their offerings. They cannot understand why. Well, Malachi gives them a very clear answer. They were faithless. Verse 14 continues, because the Lord has witness between you and your wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless 
though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Marriage vows between every Israelite husband and wife were witnessed by God. Duke, it says that if the Lord is the father of all Israel, then that makes him the father of the bride in all wedding ceremonies in Israel. And so the subsequent rejection of these brides represented a rejection of him. Puritan commentator T.V. Moore puts a finer point on the sin committed by these men. He says, the woman whom you have wronged was the companion of those earlier and brighter days of your life when in the bloom of her young beauty, she left her father's house and shared in your early struggles and rejoiced in your later success, who walked arm in arm with you along the pilgrimage of your life, cheering you in its trials with her gentle ministry. And now, when the bloom of her youth has faded and the friends of her youth have gone, when her father and mother whom she left for you are in the grave, you cruelly cast her off as a worn-out, worthless thing and insult her holiest affections by putting an idolater and a heathen in her place. The Israelite men were casting off the women God dearly loved with a faithful covenant love. The tender phrase is wife of your youth, your companion, wife by covenant, reveals how much God valued them. In Zechariah 2.8, I think this applies here, the Lord of hosts says, He who touches you touches the apple of his eye, his most precious possession. God held these women and their covenant marriages in high esteem. His desire was for his covenant faithfulness to be mirrored in the marriages of his people. He designed marriage as an exclusive relationship between a man and a woman. A covenant relationship for life and a solemn vow in which two people become one flesh. This recalls Genesis 2.24, which says, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Malachi points this out in verse 15. Did he not make them one with the portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was God seeking? Godly offspring. When God joins a husband and wife in marriage as one, he does so with the portion of his spirit in their union. This means that in a godly marriage, there are three people, husband, wife, and Holy Spirit. Malachi also reminds the people of the reason that God created marriage, godly offspring. In the Garden of Eden, God blessed Adam and Eve and told them to be fruitful and multiply and then fill the earth and subdue it. Later, God promised Abraham descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore. Ultimately, this is a call to spiritual faithfulness and spiritual fruitfulness as God's faithful love is expressed through his people.
Verse 15 ends with an exhortation. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Malachi encourages the Israelite men to guard their spirits against the faithlessness of running after the ways of the world, gratifying their flesh and divorcing their wives to do so. For us, the exhortation is to guard ourselves in our spirit so that we protect our spirit against unspiritual, worldly, and unbiblical desires and counsel. As members of the covenant community, in covenant with God, we are to bear the mark of God's faithful love, not the world's fickle love. We are to be faithful, not faithless. Faithfulness in marriage illustrates this truth. Therefore, God warns against divorce in verse 16. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Now, this is a very strong statement emphasized by Malachi's use of God's name as bookends. He says, the Lord, the God of Israel. And then he says, the Lord of hosts says this. He says that a man who divorces his wife covers his garment with violence. Very simply put, God hates divorce. The phrase covers his garment with violence is difficult to translate, but it essentially says that divorce is comparable to the deplorable act of smearing the filth of lies and treachery on your clothes. This is the opposite of the ancient custom of spreading one's garment over a woman to claim her in a covenant marriage. For a man to cover his garment with violence is to act faithlessly within that covenant relationship. This faithlessness often included the violence of physical and verbal abuse. Women were treated like worn-out, worthless property, not like the beloved, treasured possession of God that they are. Therefore, God, God says he hates divorce. Now, please Hear me when I say that God does not hate those who are divorced. He hates divorce. In this context, his hatred for divorce was fueled by the faithless and hateful actions of the Israelite men who were casually discarding their wives, the Israelite wives of their youth, to marry idolatrous women who were outside the covenant community. This left the Israelite women defenseless and destitute. They were hurt, vulnerable, and broken. The same is true of divorce in our day. Divorce leaves a wake of hurt, vulnerability, and brokenness. Divorce devastates men, women, and children. Divorce is contrary to all God intends for marriage to be and accomplish. It is contrary to all God intends for marriages to depict. 
Author Scotty Smith says that from creation on, each period of the history of redemption has declared this profound mystery and majesty of marriage. God created marriage to be the clearest representation of the relationship he has freely chosen to have with his covenant people. Marriage is to demonstrate the beauty, wonder, and power of the gospel. Do you see why God hates divorce? Another commentator writes, The marriage covenant is a picture of Christ, the bridegroom, and his relationship with his church, the bride. A divorce portrays a picture of Christ, the man, abandoning his church, which he never does. And the church, the woman, leaving Christ, something we are advised not to do. God hates divorce because it mars or distorts the image of Christ and his bride. Therefore, for you and me, it is not enough to just not get a divorce. We cannot just check off that box and forget about it. We are called to support and encourage godly marriages. This means that we pray for God's protection over all marriages. It means that we are transparent enough and bold enough to share the mistakes that we have made in our own marriages to urge young women not to take the same path. And young mamas, it means that you begin praying now for a godly spouse for your children. Speak to them about what to look for in a godly husband or wife. And it means that in our married or single life, we live in a way that points others to God's perfect love and faithfulness. Now, if you have experienced divorce in your past, do not despair. Divorce is a sin, but it is a sin just like any other sin. When you repent of it, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sin. Once God has forgiven you, forgive yourself. God's faithful love for you remains unchanged. Remind yourself of that often. And if you are contemplating marriage or divorce, get sound wise counsel from godly biblical pastors or counselors. Guard your spirit. Surround yourself with those who express God's faithful love. Verse 16 ends with that same exhortation that we saw in verse 15. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Guarding your spirit And faithfulness requires the power of the Holy Spirit. God's faithful love, therefore, is best expressed as his people are filled with his spirit and led by his spirit. Our second truth is that God's faithful love is best expressed by spirit-filled, spirit-led people. How could you minister God's faithful love to victims of physical, verbal, or emotional abuse? How might you come alongside those experiencing the devastation caused by divorce or marital difficulties? These difficult situations remind us of how hopeless and helpless we are apart from Christ. 
If we are to do anything helpful or worthwhile, we must be spirit-filled and spirit-led. Every word and deed must be prayerfully said and done so that we can come alongside a sister in Christ in prayer and loving affirmation, speaking the truth in love, offering tangible support emotionally, physically, financially, and spiritually. We can be a safe place for her to receive grace, never judgment. We can listen carefully and compassionately. We can reflect God's faithful love, the same love that he pours into our hearts. This is what it means to be spirit-filled and spirit-led. When we are, God's faithful love is expressed to the crushed in spirit and brokenhearted. They begin to find a path through the pain to healing and eventually to their happily ever after. Are you ready to live your happily ever after? The real deal, truly happy, happily ever after? Or has your love for God and others grown cold and faithless? Bitter disappointments, heart-wrenching loss, painful rejection, unmet expectations, and unreturned love are all too common in our broken world. They tighten and close off our hearts to love, and gradually our hearts grow cold to all love, even God's faithful love. Your happily ever after becomes a distant dream, a fairy tale. But that does not need to be your story. You can live your happily ever after right here, right now, and into eternity. God has already proven his love is a faithful love that never, ever fails or disappoints. He loves you so much that he not only gave his life for you, he put his life in you. Hear his invitation, his cries from the pages of the Bible. I love you. I have redeemed you. You are mine. Receive his faithful love. If it is for the first time or if it is to awaken and strengthen your love for him again, Open your heart and receive God's faithful love for you. He pours it out generously and graciously through his son, Jesus Christ. Drenched in his extravagant, eternal love, you are his treasured possession, his beloved bride. Live like it. Show others the love of your bridegroom, Jesus Christ. God's faithful love is expressed through his people, no matter the circumstances. He loves you, and you love him so that you can love others with his faithful love. That, my friends, is better than any happily ever after you could ever imagine. And it is your happily ever after. Please pray with me. Oh God, you are our heavenly Father, our mighty creator. Your faithful love never ends. Thank you for your enduring presence, especially when we are vulnerable 
or in seasons of suffering. Help us to look to you, Lord, the great I am. Your unchallenged power is wrapped in your unending love. So there is nothing we need fear. You have ransomed us. You have called us by name. We are yours. Help us to live as expressions of your faithful love. Fill us with your spirit. Lead us by your spirit so that we might always live to the praise of your glory. This I pray in the powerful name of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen.